ELC Radio. Love God. Lift others. Welcome to Elevate Life Church. To Elevate Life Church. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy another elevated message. Here's Senior Pastor Sergio Lamone. we're ready for the word now. Let's jump over here into Malachi chapter 4, 5, and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse." Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the awesome opportunity to hear the word today and to minister the word today. And Father, I pray that every person's heart would be open to what you would have to say to us. Lord, I thank you that you've been speaking to us, that we are family. Help us to change the way we think from orphans into sons, from lost into found, from people that are rejected to people that are accepted. I pray that the power of this word will infiltrate our hearts and our minds and therefore change the way we see the earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So we're in a series, the second week of this series called The Double Helix. And I won't get into the whole review from last week, but last week we talked about what a double helix is. It's basically what makes up the DNA. And so the subtitle to this message is uh, Double Helix, the Building Blocks of Your Identity. And so what we're taking the time to do is look at what the word says our identity is uh, in the Lord. And there's certain things that we've got to put on the inside of us because right believing about who you are and, and the world you live in is going to produce right believing. I mean, right living. Let me say that again. Right believing about yourself will produce right living. Can I get an Amen. Many of us that are still struggling in sinful ways and and dealing with addictions and things like that, it's because we don't believe properly about God and about ourselves. And so if the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can correct our thinking, change what we believe, we will then uh, also experience change 
in our own lives. This is what the book of Romans calls being transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, most people just want to be transformed. They come to the altar. Come on, God, zap me and take away all the need for nicotine and alcohol. Come on, God, just zap me so I never look at porn again. Just zap me. Put hands on me. Do something. And we want to just receive that zap. Now, here's the crazy thing. In God's awesome love and sovereignty, there are times when it works like that. But, the, but that's always the exception to the rule. I believe for that every time. I'm laying hands on people. I want to see that. But really, the principle is found in the book of Romans that transformation is going to come as you renew your mind. Or like this, as you change the way you think, your life will change. Amen? So you've got to take the time to learn some new stuff. Tell your friend next to you, learn some new stuff. So my job as a pastor, and then we talk about this a lot, is to feed the sheep, but not just give you nice little things to make you feel good, but I want to confront mindsets in us that are keeping us bound to low-level living. Okay, that's what I'm going after here. I want to tear up the, the, the wrong beliefs, the ungodly beliefs that are inside us that keep us at a low level of life. And at a low level of life, you never change the way you think. You'll always stay like the world. You'll never get things right. You'll never quit drinking. You'll never quit smoking weed. You'll always keep, you know, wanting to sleep with more than one partner. Come on. You'll all, you just won't be able to grasp it. But if I could get you to really understand who God is, who he's made you to be, and you could start believing the right things, renewing your mind, behavior will follow. Amen? And you'll start seeing things change all around you. And so as in this series, last week we got into a very valuable truth here, and I want to continue to build on this. And the truth that we got into was the understanding that you and I, we our family. We are all a part of the family of God. Okay. Now I want to make this clear because that begins to be a cliche. Everybody in the world has not yet in the family of God. I know we like to write songs about it and we're all together and, you know, hands across America and all this kind of stuff. But the Bible tells me this, the only way to get into the family of God is through Jesus Christ. Oh, pastor, that sounds mean. You mean if we aren't, people that aren't Christians aren't considered the family of God? Listen, I know it sounds mean, but can I just give you the truth? Or do you want me to make something up to make you feel better? I can make you feel better by just saying we're all children of God. Even these people that serve this other God and those people that don't know Jesus, we're all. I mean, that would sound great. But you know what? It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus got up and declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Ah, oh, Pastor, that just, that's going to make people mad. I know that's why they crucified Jesus. I know that's why we got pastoral friends that are going through persecution all around the world. Why do you think I get on planes and go to these other countries to help these churches? Because this truth needs to get out. 
Why do you think I take you on missions trips? Because we got to help people in their communities out there in these other parts of the world that need to get Jesus and the understanding of who he is out to others. Amen? Amen. Why do you think you give to the house of God? So we can perpetuate the gospel and get more people into the family of God. Y'all, it's serious. And it's important that you believe that because if you just think, oh, well, everybody's going to go to heaven and everybody is a part of the family of God, then you don't have to do nothing. And that's where a lot of Christians are at. And can I just tell you, that's a doggone lie. It's not in his word. The Bible says everybody can be a part of the family of God, but they got to come in through Jesus Christ. And he says, it's your job to get that word out. Amen. And so, you know, we're talking about this. And last week we, we dove into the, what the word of God tells us that you and I have been adopted into the family of God and understanding that, wow, that makes God our father and understanding what one of Jesus's main mission was to come back and restore children to a lost father. I mean, to uh, lost children to their father. And so he came back and, uh, you know, uh, he preached to the Jews and they didn't like it. They didn't like it because uh, he said, God is father. And the Jews said, no, the Jews said, our father is Abraham. The Jews considered their father to be father Abraham. Jesus comes and says, no, 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 you guys don't get it. God is my father. They got mad, blasphemy. Then he took it further and he says, not only is he, he my father, but if you come to him in my name, he becomes your father. That's why he taught us to pray, uh, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He didn't just come and say, oh, pray like this, my father. Because he was trying to get us to understand, guys, when you come to me, you're in a family. And one of the main aspects that he wants us to understand today is that in this family, God is your father. And last week, I spent a little bit of time talking about what a father is, because we have to get real, uh, uh, we have to be real frank about this. Many of us don't know what a real father is. And can I tell you something? That's okay. I'm not saying, you know, you're doomed for life because you didn't have a dad or because your dad was not good. You'll never be successful in life. I am not saying that at all. All I'm trying to say is in order to get better and be a better father for our children and have a clear understanding of what God the Father means, we've got to take some time and renew our minds to what a father is. Can I get a good strong amen on that? So last week we talked about a couple things that a father does. Number one, a father creates and enforces boundaries, which means a father disciplines his children. Amen? Amen. Go back and hear that message. Then number two, we talked, that, we, we talked about the fact that fathers create identity. The identity or the sex of the baby, scientists will tell you, is determined in the father, in the seed of the father. A father creates identity. Could this be why we're in a generation right now that doesn't understand their identity? They don't know if they're a, a male or a female, uh, or maybe they are a female, but they want to be a male. And I'm not poking fun. This is a real epidemic right now. But could it be the reason there's unclarity in the area of identity is because fathers have been missing from our society. 
And even the fathers that we have have not been taking their role and standing in their place. I submit to you, it could be that. Number three, another thing fathers do is fathers create culture. Okay, fathers create culture. And what does that mean? Fathers are supposed to be a model to the children after them. A child is supposed to have a roadmap for life by watching a father. How does a father do things? How, uh, what are the values of the house? Uh, hey, son, we don't get down like that. Son, we don't talk like that in this house. Son, you don't talk to your mom that way. Come on, somebody. Son, you're not going to come in this house and bring that attitude. Come on, somebody. Amen. I'm giving some of you nightmares because, see, for some of you, that is such a negative uh, that you don't understand it. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But a father is one that is supposed to create culture in that. And as I said last week, we want to give it up to all the single moms that have in many ways had to uphold the role of a mother and a father. And it's been the mom in some of our homes that have had to be the ones that I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to smack you if you talk to me like that. Come on, mamas. Amen. You're going to get the spoon. You keep yeah. See, sometimes moms have had to play that role because the father has not been there. He's been absent or the mother has been the one that has had to create the identity and, and that way. But I'm just explaining to you that those are things that a father does. And if a father does them. And God is your father. Get ready. God wants to do these things for you. God wants to give you boundaries. That's why he tells the men, hey, don't don't commit adultery. Hey, don't be thinking about uh, sleeping with somebody that is not your wife. That's why there's boundaries in place. And they come from who? They come from our father. A son, a son understands a son that understands the role of a father has less of a problem getting in line. But can I tell you who has a real hard time with requirements? Orphans. People that haven't been raised with a godly authority in their house have a very difficult time with rules, with boundaries. Can I get an amen? Amen. And if we're real honest, some of us remember what it was like for you in school growing up without a dad. And the first time that teacher said, no, 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 no talking. And you had a fit. Listen, I've worked in the school uh, in the schools doing mentoring programs and stuff. And I could almost point out the, the what, what kind of home a kid comes from by the way they respond right. to simple rules. And you can do it, too. You could some of you that have been to school or maybe that was you as a teen. Maybe that was you as a young child, always getting in trouble because you simply couldn't keep the rules. Because why? Maybe you were raised in a home that didn't teach you boundaries. And as I've said before, if you're a parent, please, please teach your kid boundaries. Teach your kid boundaries. Can I just tell you one of the first words that your son or daughter must learn is no. Amen? Amen. We were with uh, some, a family one time, and uh, their kid was getting kind of crazy. Some of you are thinking, oh, my gosh, was this us? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's why I'm not telling you who it was. Amen. <laughs> uh, and uh, 
and, and something was going on and he was doing something bad. And, and uh, my wife or I said, just tell him no. And the person said, oh, he doesn't like it when we tell him no. <laughs> I was like, exactly. <laughs> because he doesn't know what no means. Yeah. Amen? But we have to instill those things in our children. Can I get an amen on this? That's what a father does. So guess what your father is going to have to do for you as a good, good father that we sing about? He's going to tell you some boundaries. Hey, no, 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 no. I don't want you going to the club anymore. Oh, dad, I like the club, though. You know, I'm not going to do anything wrong. I'm not going to do anything wrong. I'm I'm just going to dance, God. I'm just going to dance, Father. You said in the Bible to praise you in the dance. I just like to dance to Lil John, you know, and inside I'm praising you, though. What is that sometimes when you when you start serving God? Guess what you're going to start hearing when you leave church? You'll start hearing some no's. You know, when I got saved, I knew right away there were some people I, I didn't need to hang out with anymore. And it was my spirit man telling me, uh, don't hang out with them anymore. Guess what that was? That was my father trying to give me some boundaries. I'm so glad I listened to those boundaries. Some of you, your father has been trying to give you some boundaries. Ah, don't, don't be hanging out with them. Don't go there anymore. And guess what you do? You don't listen. Can I tell you why? It's hard for you to listen, maybe. Could it be because you're still operating and thinking like an orphan, like somebody without a father. So I want to help you today. Amen. I want to help you with this word today. So we've got to understand these things of a father. Now, today's image of a father we talked about uh, today, the world, when you say father, it just kind of thinks of only a couple things. Uh, today's image of a father is one who takes care of physical needs, physical needs. You know, you need something, you go ask your dad, he gets you Jordans. You want to go somewhere, you call dad, you go to Chuck E. Cheese. I told you, I, I grew up with a friend who was in a divorced home, and every time his dad picked him up on the weekends, his dad just thought, I'm going to take him to get pizza, I'm going to take him to a movie, and you know, I'm just going to give him the things he wants. And for many of us, that was your experience with your father on the weekends. Now, I love going to see my dad because he takes care of my physical needs. If I want shoes, he'll buy me shoes. If I want to go to the movies, he'll take me to the movies. And so for many of us, that is our view of a father. But can I just tell you, that's a skewed view because God is much more than that. So then we get saved and we begin to say, good, good father. And we think God's only job is to grant every wish and every prayer that we have like he's the blue genie from Aladdin. And when our prayers don't come true, we get mad. When we go through things, we get mad. And then some people, and I see it all the time, they stop going to church because they say, like, it's not working. I'm praying, I'm praying, and he's not doing what I'm asking. That's because your you're thinking of what a father is is so limited. It's more than that. The second thing that today's image of a father really tends to be, and I'm talking about positive images. I'm not even touching on the negative images of a father, but the positive images of a father today are a a father is one that gives gifts, but really never gives himself. 
really never gives himself. And so, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll make sure that that child has the best PS4 or whatever they're on now, five or six. Come on, help me, gamers. I don't know what they're on right now. You know, round four? Okay, we got a four. Someone said five. is Five's coming out next month. Okay, I hear you over there. Okay. So whatever it is, that father will do everything. He can't afford it. He can't afford it. It's pretty much foolish for this father to waste this money just to get this thing for his kid because he wants it, but because he has no relationship with his kid, because he has never given himself to this kid, he, he, decline, he, he decides, I'll give him this because that'll make him happy. Missing the fact that the thing that will really make your kid happy is not all the gifts you buy him, but if you just spend time with him. Quality time. Amen? Y'all remember that song, Quality Time? Who sung that? Thank you. High five in the mix. Google it, youngsters. Google it. He needs quality time. Quality time. But see, in our minds, that's not what fathers do. Guess who does that? Moms. And like I said, the superheroes of the 2000s and the 2010s and all this has been the single mom. Men, if you're out there, it's time that we rescue these single moms. Can I get a good strong amen from the Kingsmen in here? What do I mean by that? I mean, when you get in your role, when you play the role that you're supposed to be, our wives can let go of playing our role and they can dominate the role that they're supposed to play. Amen. And so we've got to, we, we've got to understand this. So there's two different, there's the biblical father and then there's the cultural father that we have right now. Guys, the cultural father has been the problem with society. Fathers are more than just people that pay the bills and give gifts. Guys, we're the ones that enforce boundaries, create identity, and create culture. And so understanding that, we've got to understand, well, what has been the effect of not having fathers in society and fathers in the home? Well, the effect of that begins to be we raise people with an orphan mentality or an orphan spirit, okay? And there's been a lot of teaching about this in the body of Christ as of late. Uh, and I don't want this to be, fall along this line of trends because I believe it is something that our generation has to contend with. And that is having an orphan's mentality. Somebody who has never been fathered, listen, thinks different than somebody that raise, is raised up under a proper father. I didn't say a perfect father because they don't exist but a proper father who plays his role, okay? So, um, you know, so when you have an orphan spirit, one of the things that we have to confront is how orphans think. Amen? Amen. Why do we have to confront that? Because we just read in the Bible, in the book of Malachi, a prophecy from God the Father prophesying about the end times, our generation. And his remedy... For a fatherless generation or or a generation like we're in today, his remedy, he says, is to send the spirit of Elijah who is going to restore the fathers so that they can reach the children and also to change the hearts of the children back to the father. So there's a twofold 
announcement in that prophecy. Number one, fathers are going to rise up. Ooh, come on, get excited about that, man. It's time. I don't care if you didn't have a dad, you're going to be the best dad. I know you didn't have a father in the home, but woo, you're going to be one of the best fathers that ever existed. Why? Because we're going to change the way you think. Why? Because we're going to connect you to the presence of God. And we're connecting you to this prophetic word that God is raising up fathers in the end times. But the second part of this is we've got to see the anointing take the children's hearts and give that back to the fathers. Because right now, children do not have a heart for their father. Because they struggle with an orphan mentality. And so I want to go after that today as we're learning how to be family. Amen? Let's, let's talk about, uh, uh, I want to talk, give you three things about mental strongholds of an orphan. I want you to write these down. Mental strongholds of an orphan. One who is raised without a godly father. Okay? And so as you're writing these things down, it's okay. Some of it's going to be you. Put your hand around the person next to you and say, it's okay, he's talking to you. Let's just get it out of there right now. Let's just get it out of the room, okay? Because here's what begins to happen. We hear words like this and we want to pretend. Oh, that's not me. Tell the person, other person that you just ignored on the other side of you, tell them he's talking to me. Just tell them, get it out of the way. Just get it out of the way. He's talking to me, okay? Amen? Did, did, we, did we chase that false thing out of the room? Nobody has to pretend. Okay. Amen. No amens. Y'all are struggling with this one. Amen. Can we admit this is for us? Say it after me. This is for me. All right. Mental strongholds of an orphan. Number one, this is how somebody raised without a proper father thinks. Number one, an orphan is consumed with provision and protection. An orphan is consumed with his own provision and protection. An orphan is consumed with his own provision and protection. What does this mean? Somebody who has not been raised under a proper father will live their life, catch this now, in survival mode. Survival mode. That's what we do. It's just all about survival. Okay? We're not thinking about, what am I going to be when I grow up? When we're a kid, you know, what we're thinking about survival now. That's it. This is why it's easy. It was easy for some of us to run to the streets. It was real easy to run to the streets when we, there wasn't a father in the house because we were just consumed about making it through the day. Amen. Amen. And it's easy to go to the streets for that because the streets has some answers to the question of survival, or surviving and needing protection and provision. So you've seen enough movies to know the kid that's raised with the single mom. This isn't, this isn't everybody, but I'm talking about what Hollywood has depicted of this. And for some of you, it may be your story too. But Hollywood will tell you in a variety of movies, take, you know, Boys in the Hood or Juice or or, or uh, Mi Vida Loca, or what, you know, uh, uh, Blood In, Blood Out, American Me. Take your gangster pick, all right? Whatever your hood classic is. The story usually goes, 
that a child is born in a broken home of some kind with no boundaries and no culture and no father usually. And so he tends to fall into an orphan mentality which just needs provision and protection. And he's tired of of living in a community that's dangerous. And so in order to make it through that community, he joins with a gang. And that gang does what? They provide protection. But not only do they provide protection, through doing dirt, they're able to provide provision. So mom's working two jobs, and you still can't afford the Jordans. So somebody comes up with a scheme, hey, we could sell this, do this, rob this person, and then we could have money, and then you come home with the new Jordans. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? It's the story that Hollywood has perpetuated so much. But for many of us, that was the reason we fell into the life that we had, because provision and protection fell on us. Are you tracking with me today? But somebody with a mother and a father and a family doesn't live like that. They don't wake up thinking, how do I get clothes for school? School's, school year's coming up, and I'm going to need some clothes. They don't worry about that. You know what they do? Here's what they do. Get ready. They go to their mother and their father, and they say, Mom, school, school's coming up. And you know what a father and a mother will do? Y'all have done it. You take them school shopping. So that child raised up in that home doesn't you know, wonder, where's it coming from? He knows where it's coming from. I doubt that my kids have ever woken up and thought, man, I'm hungry. How am I going to feed myself today? I doubt that's ever been a part of their thinking. But others of us, that was a thought. How are we going to do this today? How are we going to get lunch today at school? I'm going to be embarrassed. I ain't got lunch again. I'm that kid in line. Hey, you got a quarter? You got a quarter? Y'all remember that kid? Yeah, you got a quarter? Every school's got them, right? Hey, you got 50 cents? You got 50 cents? You don't even, I'm like, get that. I don't even know you. What is that? Sometimes, guys, what that is is a person who wakes up with this concern. Now, in many ways, it goes even further in the spirit. People without God as a father, they live life looking for ways to provide and protect. And so, you know, maybe they had a natural dad, but they don't have a heavenly father, so they have not yet learned that my promotion comes from God. So they're possessed with, oh, I just got to get a good job. I got to get a good job. I got to get a good job. Then they lose the job. They don't know what to do. They fall to pieces. They start drinking. They start, why? Because their, their mindset is consumed with provision and protection. But can I tell you, when God is your father, he says, that's my job. God actually tells us in Matthew chapter six, put that on the screen, that I no longer want you to worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. And the clothes you're going to wear. Let me, let me prove it to you. Put that on the screen there. Let's read this. Matthew 6, 24. It says this. He starts off with this. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one, love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then he says this. You cannot serve God in money or mammon. Therefore, I say to you. Here it is. He's trying to change our thinking. Do not worry about your life, sons and daughters. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they are neither sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet the heavenly Father feeds them. It's his job. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Excuse me. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Then he says this, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? In other words, don't worry about that stuff. Here he says, For all these things, the lost, the Gentiles, that's how they live. That's how they live. They follow the money. They follow the good job. I'm not saying you shouldn't have money and you shouldn't have a good job. You should. Just don't follow it. It's got to follow you. Let me keep going. For after these things, the unsaved, the Gentiles, the people that aren't in the family of God, they seek that. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. So here's the key. As sons seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Quit thinking like orphans without a dad. You have a dad. His job is to clothe you, to feed you, and to provide for you. And some of us, we wake up with that worry. We're consumed. Oh, my gosh. How are we going to do this? Da, da, da. And see, I am, here's, be careful that you don't hear what I am not saying. Because I could hear it in the room. Oh, well, pastor, what are you saying? We shouldn't go to work. We shouldn't have jobs. No, I'm saying you do everything in your power. You do everything that God puts in your hands to do to provide, but you also understand this, provision comes from God. Your number one thing that you should wake up with is seeking God's kingdom. You know what that means? Seek God's will. God, what do you want me to do with my life? You know how unsaved people view life? Well, let me just get a good career and I'm going to have an awesome life. And Can I just tell you something? Good careers don't equal an awesome life. Do we not learn anything from Hollywood? These people have incredible lives. And they're on drugs. And they cheat on their wives. Incredible lives they have. Struggling with depression. God says, man, you got to change your thinking. Now, let me adjust this. I'm not saying... You shouldn't have a career. Get your career. But you know which career you should have? The career that God says for you to have. God, where do you want me? God, where should I live? God, what church should I go to? God, where should I work? Can I just tell you? He'll tell you. He'll tell you. I prayed with some of you guys. You remember? 
Esco came to me, hey, there's this job opportunity. It's going to be off the chain. I'm going to make more money. He goes, but I don't know if that's where God wants me. You know what that is? That's a son's mentality. Because a son is consumed with God's kingdom. God, I'd rather be in your will than be worried about my provision and my protection. If provision and protection was the only thing you need to worry about, you take that job without even thinking. You go. I'm gone making more money. Hey, I'm all good. But you know what you just left behind? The will of the Father. Now, I remember praying. Both of us didn't have a good piece about it. I said, okay, let's step out. It's a good opportunity, but God's saying not to do it. And it, and it, and it, and it fleshes out. Guys, this is the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. You know what that's called? Being a son. Being a son. And some of us just going through life trying to make ends meet. Guess what? You're going to spend your entire life going, going through that. I've talked to you before. We need to tap into the abundant life. The abundant life is when you get to experience things outside of your pay grade because God basically gives it to you with favor. With favor. Listen, I have had a way better life than, than my bank statement says I should have. And it's not because I just am flippant with my spending. It's because people give me things. God sends me places and this person does this for me and I get to experience other things. Why? Because I understand this. It's not an easy truth, but I've learned to understand that, that, that my well-being is my father's responsibility. My dad's responsibility. My responsibility is to do what he tells me to do. So, you know, one of the things he's told me to do is pastor this church, build this church. But I worry like you. I'm not going to act up like I'm Superman up here and I don't, I don't succumb to this orphan spirit and orphan mentality myself. I do. I have to fight this. And I start thinking, well, man, how are we going to make it? I want, you know, how are we going to have this for my kid's college? How are we going to do that? I, I deal with that. But at the end of the day, when I go to prayer, I said, God, you said. You said. Now, I also got to be a good steward. Come on, somebody. Amen. Got to be a good steward. You know, got to listen to some Dave Ramsey. Come on. I see you over here, Arnold. Amen. Got to get some sense. You got to get some financial sense. Got to have all that. But here's what God is trying to change. It's not the responsibility. It's the worry. It's being so consumed that you would chase money rather than chase God. That's an orphan spirit. That's an orphan mentality. Amen? Let me keep going on this. I'm almost done. Uh, so basically what it comes down to is an orphan is basically in survival mode. Many times they don't think about what they will be when they grow up. They're just trying to make it to the next day, get their hustle on. They don't think long term. Basically, it comes down to this. In, under this same thing of a, of, a, of a mentality consumed with provision and protection, maybe this is you. An orphan who is consumed with provision and protection, write these down. Number one, will pray only for, th- for things and needs. Your whole prayer life in the morning is, God, give me this. God, do this for me. You know, protect me. That's it. That's the level of your prayer. You could be struggling with an orphan mentality. Number two. They have a mentality in church and in their spiritual life that says this, what can I get from God? What can I get from God? So they ask questions like this. Well, why do you go to that church? Because I get fed. I like the worship. I get this. I get it's, it's all mentality based 
on what I can get from God. Never stepping over into the empowerment of this is what I can give to God. Oh, come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. See, a son lives with a mentality. What can I give? An orphan lives with a mentality. What can I get? This is why some will serve God 10, 15, 20 years and never tithe. I don't get it. I don't get it until I start understanding the orphan mentality. Because an orphan can't think that way. An orphan is consumed with his own protection, his own uh, finances, his own provision. So he can never step over into the real power. You know when there's power in your life? When you're a giver. Givers have the power. Takers don't. Takers can be controlled. Takers will go with the wind. That's why I'm trying to raise up a a group of disciples that can understand giving what Jesus said is better than receiving. Because with the responsibility of giving, you take hold and you cut that orphan spirit that keeps you from intaking mode. And so many times uh, the mentality of an orphan just is what can I get from God? So when you start talking about tithing, offering, sacrificing, pledging. Oh, here's another big word. Serving. Oh, no, no, no. I don't have time for that. It's not a priority. You want to know the healthiest people are the ones that you look around and they're doing stuff. Because it shows you they've, they've left that orphan spirit and they understand I'm a son. Now, what should every son have in a house? I know some of you ain't going to get this. Somebody said, a puppy. Somebody over here said, Jordans. Okay, I tell you what every son in the house should have. Chores. Chores. Let me just let that marinate like some El Pastor there on you right now. Why? Why is that important? Let me tell you why that's important. Because it teaches them. Here, I'm helping somebody today. It teaches them I have a role. I have a responsibility. I am not just an orphan, you know, coming in at night and I come and go as I please. No, a son has chores that teach him he has a role to play. Here it is. And a place in the house. Has a place in the house. Daughters need chores, too. Come on, somebody. You thought you was getting out of here. Some of the sisters was like, yeah, them sons better get them chores done. It's the same thing. What does that do? So when we come home, when I come home at night, I know that somebody may not have played their role. Dishes aren't done. Uh Uh-oh. Where you at? What's going on? Your role was not played. So therefore, are you guys tracking with me? See, some of you have no idea about what I'm talking about, and your life is going to lack from that. And some of you parents, you think you're doing your kid a favor. Well, I remember how it was for me doing chores, and I don't want my kids to go through that, but you're robbing them. You're robbing them. They need this to confront that orphaned mentality that we'll all struggle with. Number three, here's another big one. 
People that I'm still under the number one, orphans consumed with provision and protection, but these are things that prove that mindset. An orphan will hoard. Hoard. You guys know what that means? Remember that show Hoarders? You go into those houses and it's like, oh, wow. That, that, that show used to make me physically sick. You know, you go to these people's houses and they never throw anything away. I see some of you ask, that, that third one there was orphans will hoard. Hoard. Not whore. Hoard. <laughs> some of y'all were struggling. I go, what did pastor say? No, hoard. With a D. And what does hoard mean? Hoard basically means this. They, they, they never get rid of anything. They never, they never give anything away. Can I tell you, most churches are full of hoarders. They'll come to church every week, get a good word, get a good word. Never share it with anybody else. Never share Jesus. Jesus pours more into your cup. He blesses you. You're at the altar crying. He gives you more than enough. You go out here, you never tell anybody about the Lord. Never invite anybody to church. You never stop to help anybody. You don't serve. That's an orphan's mentality. They'll just keep coming, taking, taking. Are you guys tracking with me today? Tell your neighbor, ouch. ouch. I'm trying to help you. I've got to hurt you to help you right now, okay? So we've got, to, we've got to look at this thing. Because here's the opposite side of this. People that have a sons and daughters, a family mentality, they're givers. They're givers. Amen. You can't tell me you understand God as Father if you're not generous. Yeah. Time to do pledges, and people are like, well, I, maybe, I can only maybe do 20 bucks. Really? You spend more than 20 bucks at Starbucks. You know what I mean? You see what I'm saying? So there's this mentality of, oh, I, I can't. I need, I need. Man, that's the thing you got to break free of because it'll control your life. Number four, under this one, an orphan can be manipulated by the promise of his well-being. An orphan can be manipulated by the promise of his well-being. What does this mean, ladies? Talking to the single ladies, all the single ladies. What does this mean? Think about it. If you have an orphan mentality and you're dating, it means this. You will let go of your morals and your standard because of the promise that this guy can give you a better life. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. You see these young ladies serving God, strong in the Lord, yeah, praying tongues full of the fire of God. They're ready to just do everything God's called them to do. And they meet a dude and he's not a son. He's a dude. And he just kind of comes in, but he's got a good job. He talks a good talk, but nobody likes him in their family. Your mom and dad are like, Miha, no, please don't do it. But all of a sudden we put down our standard because we think this guy can take care of me. That's an orphan mentality. And guess what? You'll pick the wrong guy every time. You'll pick the wrong guy every time. Because if uh, uh, an orphan can always be manipulated of, by the promise of a well-being. It's the same way for men. Men will take positions that they're not supposed to have because it pays more. Men will take jobs out of town that will pull them away from their communities. They'll pull them away from their families and their responsibilities because it pays more. 
And the whole fact that it pays more is, to them is a good enough reason. But can I tell you, it's not. And I'm all for people making more money and I'm all for people getting opportunities. But remember, those opportunities are to come from God. I've seen it in ministry. People will go, you know, people fill out applications for ministry and they'll take a job at a church because of what the church offers them. So there's ads out there. Well, come and be our youth pastor. We'll pay you this much. And there are people who go, oh, that's a great paycheck. I'm going to go there. Never even considering. That's not where God wants you to be. God wants you to be doing it at this church over here and still keeping your job. But somebody who still has an orphan spirit can be easily manipulated by the promise of their well-being. Are you tracking with this today? God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to be God-centered and God-minded. Amen? Let me give you a couple more under, under number one here. Uh, uh, another one. Um, uh, an orphan views people as a threat. An orphan can view people as a threat or as a supplier. That's the only way they view people. As a threat or as somebody that I can use to get something from. Can I just tell you, I know pastors like this. I know orphan pastors. New person comes to the church. Oh, wow, he's a big giver. Let's put him over here. Oh, you know, this person's coming in. I don't trust them there. They can preach really good. You know, he's, he's really gifted. He, he, he could hurt me. That's an orphan mentality. But how, how is that maybe in your life? You walk into a room and, and, and you, you have that view. What can I get out of this person? Or I don't like that person because they could hurt me. Guys, that's not how a family works. You can't have that mentality and be part of a family. Amen? So the first thing we said there is an orphan is consumed with provision and protection and all those things fit under that, under that heading. Number two. Another mental stronghold of an orphan. Number two, an orphan doesn't understand discipline. Doesn't understand discipline. We live in an age today, guys, and I'm going to probably close with this one here. We live in an age today where people despise discipline. They despise it. Can I tell you something? You do yourself a disservice by despising discipline. We don't understand what discipline is. For some of us in this room, discipline represents punishment and abuse. Can I talk to the moms in here a little bit today? Moms? Sometimes trauma can cause you to see things that aren't there. Sometimes the trauma you experienced as a child can cause you to put a yoke on your husband, putting him into a category that he does not belong. And because your dad raised his voice at you in an abusive manner, in a manner to harm, now when your husband raises his voice, it triggers you. And you begin to turn on your husband because of your trauma, not allowing him to step into his role as discipliner in the house. So what we begin to happen is we have mothers, many times, that won't allow discipline in the house because it reminds them of trauma and it speaks of punishment and abuse. But that is not how the Bible tells us to view discipline. 
The Bible tells us that discipline is love. Yeah, I got three amens on that. That's okay. I know who I'm preaching to today. We need to learn this. It's hard. And, if, and, and especially for those of you, and I don't want to make light of this, this is a real issue. This is why if you've experienced trauma as a child, as a teen, you have got to pursue wholeness, strong, run to it, get a counselor, pay the money, get free, read the Bible, spend time in his presence. Because if you don't deal with that trauma and the way you view the world, everybody around you is going to pay the price. The man you love, the children you raise will pay for what you don't do from here on out. Amen? Amen. Guys, I'm talking to somebody in the room today. It wasn't your fault what happened to you, but you've got to decide, I'm going to get better. The power's in your hands now. Amen? Amen? Because what's going to happen as God is saying, I'm raising up fathers in the last days. There's going to come resistance from an orphan spirit that didn't have a proper father. And they're going to say, no, no, no. You can't come in here doing that. And what you're actually doing, you're fighting God. You're fighting God. And so we've got to have proper understanding. So sometimes for some people, discipline represents punishment and abuse. For others, it represents uh, uh, rejection rather than love. We experience this in the church. You know, we have people uh, on staff here and people that volunteer, and sometimes they don't do the job right. And so we'll have to come and have to make an adjustment or make correction. Or they put it in your, in, in your wheelhouse or in your world. You know, you serve with the host team or the usher team, but you keep coming late. And everybody say, hey, 9.15, got to be there. And here you roll up at 9.30, 9.45, 10 o'clock. <laughs> and so because they love you and they love the house, guess what that leader has to do? He's got to come and talk to you. First time I come, hey, man, you know, you're only serving one Sunday a month. Get here on time. And you could respond one of two ways. This is how you'll know you struggle with an orphan spirit or you're a son in the house. An orphan spirit will always reject it and be hurt by it. Say things like this. Well, I ain't the only one coming late. Smile at me. I ain't the only one. How come you're talking to me? And what is that? Deflecting. Deflecting. You know what a son does? A son owns it. My bad. My bad. I'm sorry. I'm going to do better. And then when you don't do better, you own it. You own it. You own it. What is that? And that's simply having a little talking to you. But you know that's a form of discipline? Being corrected? When someone says, hey, you're serving in kids, but you're rolling up all late and everything, coming in with a bad attitude. They taught you in training. Or here's another good one. You don't go to the trainings. And if someone says, hey, man, you know, you need to come to these things. You get mad. Guys, what is that? That's that orphan thing. Amen? We've got to resist that. It says this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 11. And have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? How is, the, how is God speaking to us? As children. 
He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God. Don't get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. Let me say that again. The Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training. For he is doing what any loving father does for his children. For who has ever heard of a child who never had to be corrected? In our day and age, a lot of us were that child who was never corrected in the proper way. For if we have never once endured his correction, it would only prove that we are strangers and not sons. And isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers even though they corrected and disciplined us? Then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father, as we submit to his life-giving discipline. Our parents corrected us for the short time of our childhood as it seemed good to them, not to the child, to them. But God corrects us throughout our lives for our own good, giving us an invitation to share his holiness. Now, all discipline seems to be more pain than pleasure at the time. Yet later, it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield it. Guys, we've got to change how we feel about correction. We've got to pursue it. When we're corrected on the job, when we're corrected in church, when we're corrected by God, when we're corrected by our spouse. Do you know your spouse is, is okay to correct you? Yeah, I was a weak young. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Correction comes from God. And the last mentality of an orphan I want to give you is this. An orphan never feels like they fit in. This is a stronghold of an orphan. You never feel like you fit in. They always think this, that person doesn't like me. If you ever think that way, stop. Attack that. Resist that. You ever been around somebody who thinks like that? You go to a party and you're having fun and you say to that person, hey, did you have a good time? Yeah. Hey, did you meet so-and-so? Yeah, I met him. What'd you think? She didn't like me. What do you mean? I could just tell. She didn't like me. Did she say something? No. But I could just tell. Can I tell you what that is? That's an orphan mentality. Can I tell you what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to fight and resist that. Can I tell you? I dealt with that for years. Man, when I got saved, I was plagued by that. Every church I went to, I didn't feel like I fit in. 
Every place I went, I didn't feel like they liked me. And that's a problem when God's calling you to preach. That's a problem. I had this mentality. And can we be honest? Some of us, that's a normal way you think. You just think that way. And your, your husband or your spouse or your friends are like, why do you think that? I don't know. I can just tell. You know what that is? When you have no evidence to say that, that's your own impoverished, rejected thinking. Some of you have gone to propel and you show up at this women's meeting and you're all nervous. Oh man, I don't normally like these things because the first thing it confronts is you having to reject those feelings. And so people are saying, hi, you're at Propel, but yet you feel like, ooh, I don't fit in here. Reject that. Say, no, that's an orphan spirit. I do fit in. I fit in wherever I go. You know, I had to, I had to teach myself that. I had to teach myself that. And one of the scriptures I had to use was Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 6. Put it on the screen. It basically says this. I am accepted in the beloved. I would walk my bedroom floor before I'd go to a church, before I'd go anywhere. I'd leave the house. I'd sit in my car and go, okay, God, your word says I'm accepted, period, period. I'm accepted. So when I walk in this place, I'm accepted. I'd have to go rehearse this thing, get it into my psyche. And I'd go to places, can I just tell you? I would go to places where I really didn't fit in. Really didn't fit in. Stuck, stuck out like a sore thumb. Only one that dressed the way I did. Only one that spoke the way I did. And I would have had a reason to go, yeah, I don't fit here. But I fought that mentality. And I'm so glad I did because since that time, I've been to over 40 different nations, preach to people that I don't look like, I don't sound like, they don't get my jokes, I don't fit in with. I go, I preach Jesus, and every time I go, I could st everywhere I go, and anybody that's traveled with me knows this, wherever I am, I'm at home. I'm at home. You want to know why? Because I learned this. I'm accepted in the beloved. You want to drop me in Oak Park? I'm going to be fine. I'm going to dress a little different, but I'm going to be fine. You want to put me up in Rockland? I'm going to be fine. You want to take me to the Philippines? I'm going to be all right. You going to take me wherever you drop me? I'm going to be okay because my mentality is a son. But I've had to confront that rejecting thought of an orphan that you don't fit in. Some of you might have walked in here that oh, I don't fit in here. You know, nobody likes me here. Da, da, da. No, reject that. You're accepted. Tell your neighbor you're accepted. I heard it in the room. Ah, oh, you're just saying that. Fight that thing with all of your might. Fight it. Because if you don't fight it, it'll plague you your entire life. And it gets worse and worse. You know how bad it can get? It'll get so bad that you'll be married to somebody 10 years and he'll tell you, I love you, and you'll still go, no, you don't. Can I tell you something? It's the worst feeling in the world to the man who says, I love you, and it's not received the proper way. It's the worst feeling in the world. Amen? You don't want to do that to somebody. 
And so you know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to renew your mind. Write this scripture down. I'm accepted in the beloved. Call your tattoo artist today and say, put this on my back. I'm accepted in the beloved. The top back, not the lower, not the lower. I saw you. I saw you over there. I'm accepted in the Lord. Stand on your feet today. Amen. Guys, we've got to confront that mentality. Remember, he said, in the last days, I will send the spirit of Elijah to, to bring the fathers back to the children, but the children back to the father. Today, this teaching, what we're trying to do is get you to understand the heart of the father so that you quit pushing him away. Because some of y'all, you're pushing him away. You're pushing him away. Some of us, some of us here, you're pushing the people in church away. You're pushing everybody away because you're functioning under that thing of not knowing what a father is. But if you could grasp these truths today, if you can understand today that God loves you, you got to resist that thinking when it comes up. Guys, it took me years. I still got to rehearse it sometimes. I still got to fight that rejection thing, that orphan thing in me. But I go after it. And as you do, you watch the understanding you're going to have about the family of God. Well, I hope you've been encouraged by the word of God. And if you have, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast or download our free app at the App Store. And you can continue to get word every week from Elevate Life Church.